Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today, we have Arthur Moye on the show. Arthur is the CEO of Full Circle Brewing in Fresno, California. Formerly a Cal CPA chapter president, after 15 years of homebrewing, he went rogue and sold his CPA practice to pursue Fresno's longest-running brewery. With a background in accounting, he took a leap of faith to see how he could extend his experience with numbers to drive his passion for craft beer. From 2016 to 2024, he increased Full Circle Brewing's production by 25,000% and expanded from a 7.5 BBL brew house with a local footprint to a 30-barrel brew house with packaging and distribution throughout the United States. These numbers continue to grow to this day. Additionally, as a black entrepreneur and brewer, Arthur is proud to have Full Circle Brewing Company contribute to the 1% of black-majority-owned craft breweries in the United States. Arthur is originally from the Bay Area and is an alumnus of San Jose State University. He has chosen the Central Valley as his home to raise his family and grow his business. This was a wonderful conversation, and we cover a lot of topics here, obviously focused around beer. I know you all will love this conversation. Let's go meet Arthur and Baker. We'll take us there. Fresno's best. Arthur, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Oh, my, my favorite places right now, I like cockies or chicken wings, and I like a pho ever up, up on the north side. It's a good pho place in Clovis. Okay. What's your order at pho ever? <laughs> it's pho number one. Pho number one? Add the oxtails. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Are, are they really tender? They're really tender. They're fall apart. Just delicious. Yeah. So that's yeah, oxtails are very too. underrated. What I, if you if you're at Cockies and you see someone eating a chicken wing and they take one bite and they see some sinews and then they just set the bone aside? Are you upset? Well, I I I, I got to hold myself back from going over there and clearing off that bone. <laughs> yeah, I people people do not effectively eat their chicken wings. Uh, it's, they don't. It's it's frustrating that you know. I mean, we live in a world of scarcity and climate change and all the things going on you got to finish your chicken wings i think that should be some kind of climate change slogan if you're going to eat a chicken at least eat the whole chicken you have to i mean i legit i was in tahoe one time and we were just at one of those main like walks on the on the, on, on the main mall there and these chicken wings were expensive and i looked over yeah. and there's like a whole thing of chicken wings just left at that table over there <laughs> like, that's just wrong that's, that's just terrible wrong. Um, to, I am getting a lot of light refraction. Yeah, I'm trying to. It's like barely coming off here. Yeah, I think. Yeah, when the when the when it's when it's angled that way, I think it's fine. Oh, I I didn't mention at the top. I highly edit these verbal fillers, the whole thing. So okay, um, perfect, perfect. There you go. Sound very eloquent. So I've got a bunch of topics that I want to go through with you, kind of starting with home brewing. I have a bunch of friends that are in that world, and I've got just a few questions, both about how you got started and about the enterprise of home brewing. Yeah. For you, what was the biggest hurdle you faced as you became a home brewer? The biggest hurdle is just, you know, finding the time, really. Because I've, you know, I, a lot of people say cost, but, you know, with a with a pot and a bucket and the ingredients, you, 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 can, you can make a brew. So, okay. Because I, I know that there's a few different buckets where people can run into problems. There's like fermentation. There's I, So I would classify them as like the fermentation bucket, the equipment slash measurements uh-huh. bucket, and then the flavor bucket. Where do you yeah. think is like the biggest challenge for people? Okay. So, so for the, for the, for the process, 
I would say probably for me, it was always ABV, like, like getting, getting the, the result that I wanted from the grain that I purchased. Right. Okay. And I actually, the, and that, that probably leads back to uh, temperature control. So temperature control in the mash was always hard and was always the most stressful thing. I like wrap, wrap igloo with, with like blankets and, you know, space blankets and stuff just to maintain that temperature. So maintaining the temperature, because the results of that is impacts the whole profile and, and how much ABV you can extract out of it. Well, because I know a lot of people are doing this in their garage. And so like you have temperature extremes that happen when you're doing it in your garage. And it's like, it seems like, you know, and I, I imagine there's a number of people listening that homebrew whose partners are happy that they're doing it outside. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe... From that perspective, they're like, don't introduce this idea that they need more temperature control because those buckets are going to get in my house. But it does seem like that's a big factor. Yeah, you know, and I, and I, I, I've had good luck with the grain father. You know, that's that's my shortcut, and I've also used sous vide, a sous vide. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a killer. That's a killer trick, actually. Wow. So even even if you need to adjust temperature, having if if you if you you end up low sometimes, having sous vide at the right temperature to blend in would is 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 great. So wow. what were the, when you were starting out, what were the kind of education materials look like? Is it something where you like go to a guru at a homebrew store and kind of get some advice or do you like buy a book? What does it look like? Well, I started off with a Mr. Beer kit, you know, and that came with like everything you needed, but a hundred percent, it was Julian Bencomo from Bencomo's that, that I constantly was in there, you know, picking him or his, his brother's brain and, and half the time you just get the recipe together from, I want to brew this. And he'd be like, here, you know, so that, that was the start. And then you just ask, start asking why. Yeah. Well, and I, it feels like a lot brewing, winemaking, a lot of these industries are similar to the arts that you can have like this tree of like a mentor and all the people that come from that tree. And you can kind of trace back almost lineages. I mean, I, whenever I talk about beer with people, Ben Como is a name that comes up. So he's really the kind of guru in the community, if you will. I, I call him the godfather. He's the godfather of craft beer here, here in the Central Valley. So, yeah. yeah. When people are making their own beer, and I've had this experience, and it's always awkward when someone's made their own beer and they call you over to try it and maybe they're getting started. Do you think people overrate their own beer? And <laughs> I, I'm asking this kind of to ask sideways uh, if you're just an amateur do you think yeah. it's worth the time and expense to brew your own beer if there's such good beer out there i i i definitely uh well for one yeah it's your baby especially it's at first you're going to be like oh this this beer this beer is great and it may not be it live up to the standards of your of your peers but but i i i i'd encourage enjoying it first and and you know, comparing it to 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 the to the beers that are out there and honing it in before you you ask your, you know, your siblings whether this is good or not because you're gonna be like, God, <laughs> this is crap, why are you even doing this? But but for me, you know, why why it was worth it? You know, my my background is in accounting. I'm a CPA. I'm in the office. You know, I'm doing the the the, the stuff that people may not, you know, find fun. You know, it was it was a, a means to do something with your hands and create something from your, from your hands and essentially the earth and, and provide that to people to enjoy. That's what got me hooked. So, so in that way, as a hobby, it, it, it was great, you know, and I, I garden, you know, sure. I could go, I could go get a tomato at the store and, and yeah, I probably spend 12, 10 times as much making my own tomatoes, but there's something to that. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's good you brought up accounting because that was my next question. Do you think more brewery owners should major in accounting given that how complicated yes. the tax system is and profits and marginal returns and all those kinds of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have said that when I got into it, but but now that you know, I, I spent a good amount of my time right here at the computer <laughs> doing s- spreadsheets. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely a good skill to have for, for any business, but particularly any manufacturing business. Yeah. Well, and it seems like a lot of people get into it as an art form and then they get into it and they get it, they start hitting the scale and then they're like, oh God, you know, like I have to keep track of all of these variables and control right. costs and maintain a steady output and have all these complicated relationships with distributors. It seems like there's, you know, it seems like separating out the business side with the, the art or the craft side is an important feature of a, a quality brewery. It, it really is, you know, and that may not have been the case back in the day because, you know, the distributors would take the beer from you and hand you a check and do all the all that other work, you know, and and, you know, prices didn't fluctuate on your raw materials. There wasn't as much competition. You weren't spending a lot on marketing. So, yeah, now, you know, especially as the industry starts to mature, like it's it's a business. Yeah. Can you discuss and I'm sure you've gone through this ad nauseum, but like the factors that lead you from a stable career in accounting to something that is much more risky in, in, in essentially alcohol sales. How, how do you, yeah. what was your process from getting to A to B? You know, I, I, I had an accounting firm, you know, in town, I, you know, moved to Fresno, worked for Deloitte, worked for a, a local accounting firm for a while and, you know, decided to strike out on my own you know, started by the airport, moved it downtown and we were growing along, you know, we were doing the marketing and social media and stuff when none of the other accounting firms were and, you know, making good money. And I, I, I connected and added on a partner and, and we went down to San Diego and and visited a business consultant. And she had this cool thing where she was like, you start with your eulogy, let's write your life story and how you want it to go. Start with your eulogy and work it backwards you know? <laughs> and I started with that. And it was like, if I looked at the time spectrum, it was like, you know, eulogy dead here, own a brewery here and a lot of accounting, <laughs> you know? And my, my business partner was like, we're gonna make some money. And I, I, I and he, he was excited. Now I was kind of like, you know, not as excited, <laughs> you know, and I was, I, I came back to Fresno in that mode and was having a beer at our neighbors up the street. And the real estate agent came up to me and said, Hey, you know, full circles for sale. And that was just the reset button. So sold the accounting practice and 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 bought full circle in 2016. So yeah. it was just, it was just time timing, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like just going when you see the opportunity is a factor, but then there's also, you know, think, cause I think a lot of people aspire to do what you do, but it, for people to actually do it, they're kind of outliers. And so it's always intriguing to see you know, how that process works. And I think thinking about death is always clarifying, you know, that, that I find that it to be is. clarifying. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to jump into some beer and brewing questions now, more specific to breweries and and what what's in and what's out. Um, do you think the emphasis on hazy beers has made us lose our ability to appreciate other flavor notes? No, no. I, th- I think beer, beer palettes are cyclical, you know, okay. uh, you know, I think, I think I think what has happened. There's so many ha- there, there was an attempt at so many hazies. They're starting to blend together, mm. uh, you know. But but that cyclical piece is starting to take hold, and people are you know getting back to West Coast and and other variety of beers. 
But no, I think hazy hazy was good for craft beer. What I what the what I think happened, you know, unfortunately, is the big the big guys are back and just they're just watching, you know, and they they saw all the pain points that the craft breweries were ha- having on on you know maintaining hay shelf stability, you know, consistency, and they just waited and experimented, and then they used their distribution market to put the same product that the small guys were producing in cans everywhere. You know, so these the same big guys that there were before are the same big guys they are now. And I think a lot of that is is due to a lot of just copycat innovation. Just everybody had a hazy, <laughs> you know, and, and eventually the consumer, you know, I think gets tired of tasting the same old thing. But they know that Sierra Nevada always on point, Firestone always on point. And now there's a, a hazy as a category in their in their face all the time. And that that's what they they can go to you know, Hazy just became the kind of like a Xerox. So everybody can do it, but the brands that people trust in mass and have access to that distribution network were the ones that won. Yeah. I want to ask about price. So I've got a brother-in-law that lives in San Diego and he's got a nice beer store down the street from his house. Sometimes I'll leave the beer store with four beers and like $48. And, you know, I think there's there's a range that people will pay for beer, but I, I do think there is a question of like, do breweries charge enough for a beer? But then the flip side of the question is how elastic is demand for a beer? And I'm like, how do you, how do you kind of thread? So how do you think about threading that needle of like most food businesses and bars and breweries, distillers, whatever, they just, they don't, you know, Americans are used to cheap things. They don't charge enough. We know this, like this is a fact, but- But we also have to deal with people, you know, just like pricing at where we can stay in business. So how do you think about that? Well, you know, I I, I think we, we always start with the consumer's willingness to pay. We start with that price elasticity. You know, it's like, you know, you know what are the brands that are selling, you know, but it's easy on premise, right? You're like, well, what's someone willing to pay for a pint? You know, that's more, yeah. that's fixed, you know, it might be, you know, five to, to $8. You go to that, down to San Diego, maybe 12, right? And you have to work that back backward into you know your distributor margin, the margin you can take, and your cost, and 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 it's basically that con- the consumer that sets that 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 price. You know, the, the the reason that there's so many craft breweries that are in cans is because it was a little bit different as, as to as to how that price was set, right? Like craft breweries put that in a four pack, that and all the big brands did not have four packs, and they said this is this is what I want to make. Like here's how much that four pack would, would cost, and people said, "Well, I want craft beer," so they were kind of forced into. Luckily, you know, for the whole whole industry of the of the smaller craft brewer, they were kind of forced in a price that was sustainable, mm-hmm. right? A lot of breweries can could not put their product into a a boxed six pack and expect to make the same beer. Yeah. Your brewery in particular in town is one of, I would say, two or three breweries where I come in for like exciting innovations and beer flavor. What does the testing phase look like for you guys when, you know, someone's just, you know, someone's sitting in a room, they're like, man, bacon and berries, like, come on. (laughs) Like, like how how do we go from like, you know, sitting, reflecting on like flavor notes to uh, a beer that's going to get poured out of the tap? Yeah, no, you know, we used to do, we still do experimentation, but at some point we were doing it all the time. <laughs> so it was, you know, we, 
we in, in some areas, especially, we're no, noted known for our like flavored beers, right? You know, so if we're if we're talking about flavor combinations, usually we we go out and 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 we see what trends are generally in the flavor space. It's not just what's going generally, right? You know, is it yeah. is it is it is it leading you know sweeter or more sour? And then we and then within those categories, we say what's what's something you know, unique flavor wise in that, in that, in that category and, and just kind of try it out on a small scale and, and build it from there. But having a good base beer to do that with that, that, you know, can, can hold a variety of, of flavors against it is, is pretty important too. So um, yeah. And then after that, it's just experimentation. And I'll tell you, it's not always, it's not always a win. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how creativity works. I imagine, right. You know, trying out different things, you know, and if, you hit home runs every time. It's not baseball anymore. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about breweries and choosing how many beers to have on tap. Do you think the average brewery has too few or too many beers on tap? I think the average brewery, I guess it's it's hard to say what's, what's too many and too few. I think it depends on your market, right? You know, I think, you know, in, in, in Fresno, you know, we don't have the huge just walking around craft beer scene where every consumer that walks in your space is, is, is waiting for that next flavor at, you know, so, so I feel like, you know, probably in Fresno, like less is more, you know, mm. but if you're in a craft beer strip of 10 breweries, you know, and people are always seeking the latest and the greatest new flavor, like, you know, more is probably, it's probably more, we more focus on, on making sure we have, something for everybody, especially in the tap room. Cause we, you know, we draw from different demographics from, for all of our shows. So, you know, we, we like to try and have every, something for every, everybody. That's why we have like the cider as well. And we have normal basic beer, beer styles, plus the creative stuff for the, for the craft heads out there. Yeah. So speaking of those craft heads, when you're thinking about a premium beer, um, what, and you're thinking about charging more for that. What's what's a premium that people are willing to stomach? Is it a dollar more? Is it three dollars more? Because you get those craft heads in there, and they just they they want something new and interesting, and they're yeah. more than often willing to pay. Like I remember in college, you know, this is before I was 21, so here we go admitting crimes. We would go to this convenience store, and I would buy this beer called Midas Touch, which is this fancy dogfish head beer that I would yeah. get. And it was like 0708 and it was incredible. And we would pay so much for it. We'd kind of split it amongst our, you know, dorm room lunch money, if you will. But we were willing to pay for it because there was a premium there. And I think it was like, I don't know, like $18 for a four pack or something like that. Yeah. So like, what, what, what do you think when you're setting a price for a premium beer, where, where are people at with how much they're willing to pay? Um, I think that's, that's on its way down. I mean, we've, We've seen our stuff, you know, especially like during the the boom boom period, as much as twenty five dollars a four pack. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even even one of the beers that we have still to this day that is one of our top sellers, the Mango Bomb, used to we used to roll at that at that price point, right? But I think as uh, you know, as a as a beer gets like kind of saturated, and it's 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 still premium craft, but it's not new. Like I think that that kind of had historically settled on about sixteen ninety nine a four pack, yeah. right? And that's and that's what you saw the the larger volume craft brewery sitting at for a good while, and we try and we we try and sit. How however you know the market has kind of, is is not in contraction but is maturing, 
And I see a lot of people settling in at like $13.99, $14.99 per, per four pack. $14.99, you know, still a premium over the, the guys that are selling those for $9.99. Yeah. 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 Belgians of the world. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about a little bit of uh, brewery environments. When I lived in Southern California, my partner and I would go to Golden Road Brewing right there in Glendale. And on a Sundays, it was a scene. It was like, it was almost like it felt, it would feel like, like an after church potluck at the park. You know, there's kids everywhere, there's dogs, you know, they have food, like people are playing, you know, Connect Four, large scale. And yep. there's like babies walking past bars. And, you know, it's it's really interesting to me how breweries were able to create this new space. Because in some sense, a brewery is a bar. But in other sense, it's treated as its own separate lane. How how do you think that happened? Like, what what is it? Is it just the, the non-presence of hard liquor that got them there? Or is there something else you think? Well, I think what definitely the non-presence of, of, of hard liquor allowed the ABC to be a little bit more lenient on the 21 plus. So, so that, that's the first thing that opened, opened the door. But I also think it, it's, it's millennials and, and zennials having kids and, 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 oh, this is a place I could take my, take my, take my kids and, and still have a beer or so, and they could go play, you know, super big checkers or something, you know, so I, I, I think it, it's, it's the you know the, the ABC allowing it for for first and then you know people the the craft beer market maturing and having 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 kids. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, and there 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 is a there is a different culture. I mean, it's a different culture when, and I think it's you know that threshold of like you can have three or four beers and you're not going to be wild. You know, where you have three or four Jack and Cokes, you might be a little wild. And I think that <laughs> that kind of changes valid. the environment. Yeah. How important are let's say two things, advertising and activity for beer sales at the tap room. Like, cause I know every, every brewery now has uh, trivia. Uh, yeah. A lot of them have live music. There's game nights. There's, there's all sorts of things. So like that tells me as an observer that that must be a critical thing in some ways for building like loyal patrons that are going to come out regularly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like, but, businesses in, in the long haul like aren't going to be incurring more cost if it's not required so if i have a passion for beer and i can brew beer and and put it on tap and there's going to be enough people in there that's just that's that's the way it's going to stay so in 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 fresno you know when i got when i purchased purchased full circle like i i wasn't thinking any any of that yeah but you know i was a a long-term uh patron of full circle and it felt like that dive bar with the eclectic entertainment it's on the other side of the the, the streets so i quickly realized that that's a big amount of the value of of, of what full circle was and is is that they you know you're going to go there and get entertained you know so we just we kept that and amplified it and now we see it as essential because we're we're still located in downtown fresno you know, there's not a large enough craft beer market just roaming around downtown to sustain a whole bunch of tap rooms. There's not a, a lot of people in general go, roaming around long t- downtown in order to sustain without entertainment. But so we we put on actually over 200, 250 shows a year, you know, of, of varying sizes. So we're always having something to do and it's it's kind of been baked into the brand. So we've called it beer, beertainment in, in, in the past. So that's just who we are. And what are the what are the what are the biggest? I mean, is it concerts are the biggest draw for for new people that are new to your? Yeah, I'd say I'd say concerts are a big draw. We also do a lot of community f- events. We've got a like event coming up later 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 this month for Black History Month. 
where it's a it's a barbecue. We've got local artists later in the day. So our best events are when we can bl- blend that family atmosphere you're talking about early on, and then kind of that 21 plus in the in the evening. So I'd say concerts for sure, but also like fun community and social events. You know, we we do a pumpkin carving. We we do gingerbread house building. We have a fun Oktoberfest. So always events though. Okay. We're going to pause our questions and jump into a category that I call overrated versus underrated, where I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. Tell me whether you think it's over underrated and why. Uh, yeah. I promise to do new, no local beers from other breweries in town. Every every beer in Fresno is incredible, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So let's start with one. Pelotons, are they over or underrated? Underrated. Okay. I, I'm going there after this call. I'm going there. Yeah. So tell why why should someone get a Peloton? Because I know if you go if you go on offer up, there's a few Pelotons for sale. So some people jump into it not ready for it. But why should people still buy them? It, the, the the community, the culture. I, I got it during po- uh, pandemic, and I'm on a 166 week streak. So wow. I, people think I own shares in Peloton, but 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 I don't. But I, I feel it's community is where mm-hmm. it's at. The instructors and just a, an easy and convenient way to to keep the heart beating for as long as possible. Okay. Next one. Untapped. Is it a useful service? Is it a useful service? Yes. Okay. Do you think it's over or underrated? Overrated. Okay. Why? I think it's like any re, you know re- review app. You know, I mean, you're going to get this, the people who kind of get quite a bit of their identity from reviewing on the app, and the average person is just absorbing that and they're not reciprocating. So they're like. This is great. This is a great beer, and they go out and buy it, and you, they're not going to follow up with "Yes, you were right." right? Yeah. So those people, in, those, those very active people, end up having a lot of control and don't represent the consensus. Okay. Next one: Hop Teas. Have you tried any of these? Yeah, I'm, I'm neutral. I guess I haven't tried too many. Okay. Too many. Yeah. Yeah. So, like during the week, you know, I'll have less beer and more non-alcoholic stuff, and I've tried the hop teas, and I just can't do it. I, you know, <laughs> I, I get the, I get the principle. I just, I can't follow through. Next one, the movie Forrest Gump. Oh, underrated. Like okay. my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. We're at the 30th anniversary, which is crazy. Yeah. They just had the third because it came out in 94. Oh. Why should people revisit Forrest Gump? Well, I, I feel like a, a lot of times American culture, we feel like we are in control of our destiny, right? You know, and that we're like curving things and making decisions that is going to make us, you know, end up in a better position. And that's where all the stress comes from, you know, mm-hmm. and you got this very simple person who just live life. And and you know live the life he was supposed to live. That's I, I just love that story, and I'm I'm also a, a big underdog fan. So I like seeing an underdog succeed. That's that's what gets me going. Okay, next one, and this one I've paid I think north of what you were describing for the mango bomb. I paid north of that for this beer, the 120 minute IPA. I love I love, I love that beer. <laughs> okay, the flavor's complicated, and so I think it's hard for people to understand it sometimes. What do you like about it? I, I like, you know, for, for me, if I'm thinking about the right one, I like that Belgium kind of profile. So, you know, I don't get that enough in craft beer. Okay. Next one, having high emotional intelligence and being an accountant. <laughs> that's that's way underrated. Being an accountant <laughs> is way underrated. <laughs> so, uh, and emotional intelligence is, is also underrated. I mean, it, it couldn't have gotten gotten here with, with, without, uh, without that, especially when it, 
when you're dealing with people every day uh, that have their your destiny in their hands. So mm. next one, USA beer ratings. Are those over or underrated? You know, I don't pay attention to those. I, I think they're overrated a bit because it, it it is very much like the 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 folks that get behind making sure they get the vote that, that get there. You know, it's not really beer quality. It's like, oh, we're gonna get this this year, you know, and as long as they have a big enough fan base, you'll you'll find they'll find their way on that list eventually. Um, yeah. Well, I know it's a big thing in the wine world, like those like those grades that they give them, like in the wine spectator or whatever. And I wasn't sure if ratings were as important in the beer industry. They are. Okay. They, they, they definitely are. But, but you know, the ultimate rating, you know, is that GABF gold medal, right? Mm-hmm. And it used to be that there were so few breweries that when you got that gold medal, like the distributors just started calling and you like blew up. But it's not like that any, anymore. So it's 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 what you do with the ratings that count more than what the rating says. Yeah. This uh, next one is what I would maybe classify as my first craft beer, Stone's Arrogant Bastard. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, that was one of my first craft beers too. So yeah, no, I I I I love it. You know, and you know, I it was like a mecca type of trip going out to stone to their gardens area like at stone and 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 Firestone, firestone you know ironically are the, are the two breweries that, that that really got got me into into craft beer so i i still like stone and arrogant bastardale okay. <laughs> in, in uh, fact i was at i was at lagunitas wearing a stone hat and apparently that's not friendly territory. It's like, ah, these arrogant <laughs> bastards are in here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> people, people are turfing at breweries. What, what's that about? Yeah. <laughs> it's all love, right? All right. Next one. And this is something I asked to, I've asked to, I don't know, 130 people that have been on this show. Me and Ed's Pizza, over or underrated? Underrated. I'm a transplant. <laughs> I, li- I like me and Ed's Pizza. So when I see hear any hate, I'm like, you haven't had a bad pizza, have you? It's pretty good. So. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. It's like hating, hating. I, I I don't even know. It, it it's just such a such a staple thing around here. Like <laughs> it's it's hard for me to understand extreme reactions. I I think there's, I think the crust is uh, maybe the most divisive thing. Next one, beer moses. Oh, dig them. Uh, I think it's important. That kind of stuff is important for the industry. Yeah, I think they're properly rated. I think that, I mean, for me, like. If you're going to go do like that yoga in the morning or whatever, and then have a beer mosa after, that's probably about as good of a Sunday morning as you're going to have. All right. Last one before I do a couple either ors, uh, rice beers. I just, for the Super Bowl, I just had one that was like a rice infused beer. And that was interesting. It was like a rice, what it's kind of a, what's that lighter German beer called? Not like a hef, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's your stance on rice, rice infused beers? I haven't had too many, but 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 I we have looked at the concept, create u- utilizing rice to create sharper, more palatable beers. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm neutral neutral on that one. Haven't tried enough. Okay, all right. So before we return to our regular questions, I'm gonna I'm gonna place you. You're in an airport, somewhere, and you're at a bar, and they only have the traditional American beers on tap. And the bartender's asking you which one you're going to order. You don't have to give me a reason why. You just have to pick. So the bartender says Bud Light or Coors Light. What do you pick? I put Coors Light. Okay. Yeah, for then, a long time. The next bar says Stella or Heineken. What do you pick? Heineken. Okay. And then the last bar says Corona or Modelo. What do you pick? 
Oh, that's hard. Lately, Corona. Okay. Have you tried the non-alcoholic Corona? That like broke my brain. That really? It, no, not, it, not, not oh, yet. I oh, saw yeah, it you yesterday though. <laughs> yeah, you have to try that. It literally, I think, you know, like if Einstein was in the in the lab with them, I think they've, you know, figured out <laughs> figured oh. out the secret sauce for the theory of the universe to make that beer. It's incredible. <laughs> All right. So let's return to a regular question. So we talked about middlemen and distributors a little bit before, but I know this is something that was created by governments and kind of has prohibition era elements to it. How how does it, how difficult does that make for you as a as a brewer dealing with all these distributors and middlemen in, when you're trying to sell your beer? In other words, what I'm asking, is there a lot of waste that accrues by having this set up? You know, I, I think it just depends on what element of that relationship you're talking about. Like, as far as getting the beer out into the world, world and getting it into other, you know, cities and markets, there's, I think we're we're on the the we can be on the winning end of that. Like they're essential in that. Otherwise, every brewery would have to have a hundred trucks. You know, so so I I do think they're essential in that way. Mm. And when it comes to taxes, what kind of impact does excise taxes have on how you think about financials with a brewery? Oh man, Ex- yeah, excise tax definitely tough. You know, it. it and can it, you explain it for people that maybe don't understand the layers here? Yeah, so excise tax is just kind of like a a, 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 a almost like a a penalty tax or a you know they they look at selling alcohol as as not a right but but a privilege, right? And excise tax is part paying that as part of your privilege for being able to sell alcohol. So you know every every can and barrel you sell to to anyone. Has has like a a twenty cent per per gallon state tax, and I think like a two 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 to three dollar per barrel federal tax. So it's 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 immediately taking out taking out your your margin. They have lowered that over time, but but it would be nice if those went bye bye. Yeah, what what kind of impact do you think non alcoholic beers will have in your market? I I guess. I don't think that non-alcoholic beers, you know, sitting next to an alcohol beer has any impact because like someone is either going for, al- you know, non-alcohol or alcohol. So, so I feel like so it's not a substitute, you know, it's a, it, it's it, a, it's not really a substitute. It's a separate, th- a separate thing. You know, I, 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 you know, I feel like, so do you think that, it could grow your market by those people that normally, I could, think it could grow the market. I think it's going to bring in people. I don't think. I don't think it's going to steal uh, a a substantial amount over time. You know, I do think there will be like a share in waves of the people who do drink alcohol, you know, uh, but for the non-alcohol drinkers, it could become a mega segment if you're not drinking alcohol, but this is something that I like, like a soda. I, I think that portion is going to be the biggest part uh, of that growth. Yeah, there's all these weird trends in beer right now. Like I was reading about still spiked beer, so like no carbonation. And I was like, isn't that just a cocktail? Like, I don't know what that even means. And then, you know, you have like all these kind of like interesting trends and, you know, it's kind of hard to know whether you should jump on these trends or not. I, I do want to ask you, though, about your beer in particular. What what do you think is your most underrated beer in your rotation? Like what beer is like, Someone a beer that you feel like is so good, but maybe doesn't give the attention it deserves. That's, that's a good question, and I, I I have an answer to that for internally, like the, the beer that we should be paying more attention to, and maybe that's the same beer. I I'd probably say that Illa the Illa Vanilla 
you know, milkshake IPA, you know, I I feel like we kind of let that one go like a little too soon. And there's not a a week day week in or time that I'm out in a week that I don't have someone to ask when are we bringing that back? You know? So it's like, I've had that thought personally. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, so yeah, the writing's on the, on the, on the wall there. So, so yeah, I I think internally and and for the new consumer, not never getting to experience that on scale is is something that that's probably one of the most underrated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can you can go ahead and say same answer for this next question if you'd like. If you were, if you maybe with Tom Hanks were stuck on an island somewhere and you you know there's a cargo plane flying by and they'll drop a pallet of one beer off from your brewery, which 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 beer would you want on that pallet that they dropped? Well, you, you know, you're on a desert island, you know, so I think it would have to be, I, I'd say our lime, lime 30 lager, mm. <laughs> you know, it's got to be refreshing and got to, you know, so, so I'd say lime, lime 30. Which we yeah, that sounds good on the beach. So kind of a broader question before we jump into more Fresno focused questions. Are there lessons you can draw from the wine industry? We just had a friend that was in town. That's a, an accountant actually with their financial some works in the finance element of the wine industry. And she was kind of talking about the ups and downs and like drawing broad lessons about where the industry is going. Are there adjacent industries that you look to for kind of direction or is it more beer focused industries? No, I think wine, wine is a good example. You know, what we can learn from wine is everybody keeps saying, Oh, there's so many craft breweries, you know, it's too, too many, but you go to the wine section I mean, there are so many wines, you know? So, so I, I think, you know, I don't think our market has hit the the full maturity. I just, I just think that the, the who of who makes up that market is the thing that's going to change, you know, wine businesses tend to be pretty. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that would, you know, once, and I think this is true in a lot of areas in life is when we have a surfeit of like information, that's when curation becomes so important. And so like sommeliers are critical in the wine industry to help you deal with the morass of what to choose. And, you know, with beer, it's a little different because you can get a can and maybe you pay $16. It's a really nice can, but you're not paying $300 for a bottle (laughs) at, you know, Annex or something on the weekend. So do you think that's kind of going to be a factor more as a curation when the market continues to grow? I do. I do think curation, you know, and, and food pairing is is going to be, you know, definitely a, a big part of it. But I also think brand identity, you know, and aspirational identity to the, to the brands. You know, if, if you look at the, the guys who got big that weren't already big, the Lagunitas, the Firestones, the Stone, there, there's an identity, yeah, you know, you know that people want to associate themselves with. And for us, it's like, you know, good vibes, you know, that's 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 been... Our, our whole thing, you know, find your, find your tribe and catch a vibe, you know, and that's, that seems to be resonating with folks. And that's how we operate the tap room. If you come to our tap room at any time, you're going to just find such a diverse grouping of people just having good vibes. Okay. A few more questions kind of downtown and also business related. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to merge with Speakeasy and like kind of the process behind that? Was that more about just market working at a higher scale to bring down some costs or were there creative connections or a little bit of both? Yeah, I guess a a little bit of both. You know, we contract brewed with Speakeasy before we acquired them. And just like in that process kind of saw that things, you know, were, you know, they, they, they weren't utilizing all, all the resources that they had. So it kind of seemed like 
like like maybe it was it, it was they weren't they definitely weren't utilizing everything that that that, that they had there so we we kind of proposed a partnership because we were in the process of looking for equipment and 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 that kind of didn't happen but then two years passed you know and i i think they were experiencing like out of stocks and 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 which means they were not brewing enough and it just kind of seemed like something was going on so we called and just said hey you know do you want to revisit the the conversation that we had two years ago and they're like you know we're we're ready you know so the relationship started off with a contract brewing relationship and and just asking the question at the at the right time the, the owner seth butner it was a former distributor and is is now uh, a short shareholder of full circle too and and a good mentor. So it yeah. was like win-win. And this is going to sound like a super loaded question. I promise it isn't. How many breweries do you need to have to have a brewery district? One. One? Start with one. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, one. So yeah. the emphasis is on starting with one. What, uh, you know, I, and I think about this, you know, like any, any major district you go in a big city, you know, you know, some parts of San Diego, they'll have like a ton of them on a the street. Like where, where, where would you, where would you like downtown Fresno to be in terms of the number of breweries in that particular area that they call the brewery district? Well, you know, I, I, I would, I would say, well, first with, with just general city planning, right. You know, you, you got to label things, you got, you have a development code, right. And you say like, mm-hmm this is a brewery district because that's where we're going to encourage breweries from, you know, it's like a chicken and an egg kind of deal. Uh, but we, we do have three and I, and, 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 and I even four good breweries, you know, down there, you know, I know 411 is, is not a, a brewery anymore, but they're bringing awesome craft beer to that area. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think between us, 401 Procreation and Tioga Sequoia, that's a district. Yeah. It's, it's a start. You know, so it's it's more it's it's more than one, but I think it only takes one to make a district because you got to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. What other businesses would you like to start popping up in the area around you that would complement your business? Obviously, you know, places to go grab some food, but are there other businesses as well that you think would be helpful to the area? I guess food food would be my my, my initial answer for sure. You know, I. Like, should people not, be able to shop or, you know, you know, like there's lots of reasons why people come downtown. Primarily it's alcohol and food, but I'm just curious if there's other things that downtown needs. I, I definitely think shopping would help, but, but I, I really think the biggest thing in my mind that, that downtown needs is like to continue to uh, improve the livability and more places to live nearby and in downtown, which I, I know they're working on. So I'd say spa- spaces, spaces to live and 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 food would would be my top shopping you know i think shopping would work if it if we're talking about anchor like an anchor like like people from all over fresno have to go downtown to 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 get their the that type of retail store that is in great great demand right you know it's like the old like JC Penney concept, right? You put one at the end of the mall and boom, everybody's going to go to that mall. It's a Walmart concept. You put a Walmart, everybody's going to go to Walmart. So if it's something like that, yes. But I think I do think that like the spirit uh, shopping, local brands or or new brands would, would struggle for sure. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to repeat what Elliot said on a previous podcast, which is we need we need those folks, and you know who you are, operating Made and Heirloom and a lot of these restaurants and Saison to just build a restaurant downtown. Like, let's pony up 
and like yeah. put our money where or mount whatever that phrase is. And just, you know, if we have, I mean, I, I get that there's issues with uh, space and, and we're going to talk about unhoused people in a second, but, you know, I think, I think if the city really cares, I got to start, you know, putting our money where our mouth is and not, you know, not just push development to the fringes of sprawl, but let's develop, redevelop where, where, where it matters. Oh yeah. Those are, and those would be all, uh, and that's, that's actually a good point. And, and that's a really good point and, and, and a really good example. You know, you, you're still mentioning local businesses, right? You yeah. know, so I don't think, I don't think an heirloom founded in downtown would have had its a, a draw to make that business feel a success if it started downtown. But now that it's got its notoriety and everybody knows if you put that downtown, it's it's gonna it's gonna draw. I mean, yeah. I think you have a line at, at that at, at that spot. So I, I think yeah, I would love to see that one in particular downtown. <laughs> and hello, I mean, you're an accountant. Uh, I'm not, but I know about opportunity zones. Like, come on, let's get let's get the let's yeah. get tax breaks going and like just, yeah. just start building stuff. So yeah. anyway, that's no, that's I, a whole I, monologue. We can go yeah. on about that forever. But um, I, I do want to ask. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I I, I would just say full circle. Full circle is 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 literally you know birthed out of that downtown belief. Like you know myself and our original nine investors were all downtown folks so you know when we started full circle you know i had enough money to open the door and see you know what a mess i got into <laughs> you know you know but but you know when we needed more capital to grow because you know we didn't have a lot of tanks you know it was all people from de- that downtown scene that topped in you know yeah. so they were ready to put their mouth in so it does take that to get that inertia going so i, I love that idea of getting good fresno restaurant tours down there yeah and we need to remind them of their eulogies as well you know if you only built businesses where it was easy what does that say about your eulogy man i'm just in here just just throwing shade i'm not trying to but you know we got to encourage people however we can talking about encouraging people so where your original location was there was a large population of unhoused people living right nearby and i'm sure it was a factor in your business but also in your decision to shift over and be in the district where you are now on that street you're at um, how, what what is your perception on the unhoused issue downtown, and are there certain things that you feel like have worked, and what's been your experience with that community? I'd say the first thing that 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 worked for us because when we took when we when we took over that corner of F and Ventura right there, it was the backdrop of the worldwide. <laughs> urban problem of unhoused right it was tent city all the way down that all the way down the street you know there were drug deals and prostitution happening right outside our door right the 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 biggest and most underrated step in in mitigating that is turning your light on and opening the door you know so many businesses, you know, in, in Chinatown, like the way to combat was to close the door and turn the lights off. And that just let more and more people build. So, you know, I made it an effort and I still sometimes today I got to remind the guys, no, turn on the light, put the music on, open the door. Right. This is a place, a, a business. And it's surprising how how that changes where where people people align. So, you know, that's that that's been part of 
of keeping the space, you know, owning the space and, you know, trying to create a, a safe range. But uh, amongst the, the, the people themselves, you, you know, it's, it, it's hard, man. It's hard. Uh, I'll tell you, like, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, people who really know me, I'm a bleeding heart, you know? So when I was there and it was hot, I'd give people water, you know? And w- when we needed it, the dirt swept, I, I asked, I, I let them sweep and paid the money. And it, it did not yield good results, you know, because then there was, there wasn't just the good people and the hungry people. It was all the other people that don't have good intention lining, lining up the door, you know, and we had to, to, to call PD and, you know, PD guy looked at me and he said, look, I know you're a nice person, but you gotta knock that shit off. Yeah. And I, damn. So, you, you know, it, it's almost, you know, you, it, it's hard because you want to help, you know? So, so i I, I'm, you know, more encouraged, you know, you know, we do create a lot of community, you know, at, at full circle and, you know, we host a lot of events from these great nonprofits doing great good for that community. So you got to focus on it. I, I feel on, on, on that, on that level, you know, so I, I personally think that, you know, more housing is, is not going to do anything because uh, these, the folks that we interact uh, on a, on a daily basis at the production facility or have it's drug and mental health issues, you know, and until you address those, it's, it's not a roof. They've chosen their roof, you know, you know, and, and, and yeah. So I, I think, I I think my person, my personal opinion is that drug, you know, drug, drugs and mental health and that relation is the core and the source versus the actual physical roof over, over their, over their head is, is the, is, is, is where we can really attack. So, yeah. Okay. Last question before we talk about books, I always like to ask people to share their, how, how their particular industry they work in gives them a specific vantage point on the city. So working in the beer field that you do, what do you understand about Fresno that maybe others that work in other industries don't? You know, so for me, like I, I work in education and for a hammer, everything's a nail. Like for yeah. me, it's like a lot of things I look at as uh, education problems, you know, like it's a learning issue. We need to help people understand how to file taxes or how to fill out their N-400 so they can become citizens. Like I, I tend to see the world through learning, learn education being the problem and solution. And I, and so that's my particular lens that I bring to places like Fresno and th- when I think about it. And so I've talked to marketing people and their particular lens leads them to say, okay, I look at the city of Fresno and I think we're telling the wrong stories about it. And so I'm always curious, like how people's particular background and in the industry that work in informs how they view the city. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm a transplant, right? You know, yeah. so, so, so I, I went to school in, in, in the Bay Area so, so I'll, I'll, it's not just, you know, my, my, my industry, but it's also like my industry as, as accountant and, and, and just living in the Bay area. When I came here and, 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 and ran into this opportunity and a whole bunch of other variety of opportunities that my lens of Fresno from, from having that experience, I think it's a land of opportunity. And I feel like you know, a lot of people have a lot of self-hate here, you know? So I look at, I look down Chinatown and I'm like, man, this kind of looks like, you know, what Sunnyvale used to look back in the day. There's opportunity, you know? You know, I look at, I look at the 
lack of just years and years of like like and levels of kind of nepotistic growth that you have to kind of get in line in in a big city that's not here it's like you want to help here's the door it's open come on let's do this <laughs> you know so i i, I kind of i see my lens as, as fresno's a land of opportunity industry-wise and being able to travel throughout california you know i i see that a lot of the problems that we say that is that that fresno has this is a fresno problem it's not a fresno problem it's like a, it's a metropolitan urban problem you know so a lot of people were like oh fresno sucks because this i'll say it's the same thing going over there over there over there it's just that they have more self-love mm. you know? so 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 i i think i my my lens is 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 bright, you know, on 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 Fresno, if, if, and hopefully that kind of answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it does, and I, I I love that perspective. And you know, it's the stories we tell ourselves and we tell others, you know, in a lot of ways. I we always close at the same place. What are a few books you'd recommend to listeners? I would say The Big Leap. It's a great book. It's about finding, you know, your zone of genius. You know. And a lot of people, you know, sit in their zone of, of their expertise and their comfort zone, but there's something, you know, special about everybody. And then I also would say strength, strength finders, you know, I think, you know, in American culture, we're, we're always, we're always about like improving our, our weaknesses. You know, everybody loves the movie Rudy. And I was like, oh my gosh, Rudy, that's great. He's overcome. But when you look, really stand back at it, the dude went to a great school, right. You know, and, 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 you know, he, he worked really hard and got beat, beat up and played one play at the end of the day. But maybe he should have been a physicist. So like, it's like finding your strength, strength finders, and 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 aligning that strength with what is just natural, your zone of genius, the big leap. Those are the two books I'd recommend. Yeah. To close, what can you tell people where to find out more about events going on and things at Full Circle? And then what's next for you in terms of projects? Yeah, I think uh, Instagram is the best way to follow us, Full Circle Brewing Co. That's where we post post a lot of our stuff. We also have a brewery district page, and 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 next steps is is just get getting the good word of 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 Fresno craft beer out to the rest of the world. You know, I want I want I want Fresno to be looked upon as like that's a source of you know the next wave of great craft beer. Well, awesome. Thank you for talking with me, Arthur. This has been informative, illuminating, and I appreciate that you're doing what you're doing downtown. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me great. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.